Hi, I'm Georgios Rutsos, and you're listening to QUB Voices. This podcast is released under Creative Commons license. You can find us at QUB Voices on Twitter, Spotify, and iTunes. Hello, I'm Georgios Rutsos, and welcome to the second episode of May's episodes of QUB Voices. In the second episode of each month, we focus on our Researcher Spotlight segment, where we shine a light on one student's research and PhD journey, helping our listeners to learn more about new research and helping our PhDs to promote their work. Today I'm joined by Laura Shiri, a PhD researcher in the English department, whose PhD thesis is entitled Inner Voice, the sound that will never stop. Laura is from Tipperary and lives in Belfast. As a PhD candidate, she is working on a novel and researching intersections that exist between sound and language in contemporary fiction. She also writes and performs music as part of an electronic duo, Kyoto Love Hotel. Hello, Laura. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. Hi, Georges. Thanks very much for having me. Can you start by telling me about yourself and your research? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Laura Shiri um, and I'm in the third year of a PhD at Queen's. <clears throat> I'm from Tipperary, but based primarily up here in Belfast. And my PhD is practice based with a focus on creative writing. So the main component of the project is the novel that I'm writing. And this is going to be accompanied then by a critical essay that analyzes some of the the connections and the intersections between sound and language in contemporary fiction. The writers I'm focused on specifically are Max Porter and Emer McBride. And I'm looking at the ways they incorporate kind of techniques, traditional sort of sound techniques like rhythm, rhyme and repetition into their work in their sort of portrayal of interiority. So yeah, I'm sort of discussing the effects of this. I also did my master's at Queen's in creative writing. And before that, I was down in Cork studying music and English. And I'm a musician myself, so that that sort of influences my writing and vice versa. I, I play part of an electronic project at the moment. And that sort of, yeah, the music and the writing sort of come together to form a whole creative practice, I suppose. It's very interesting how you intertwine everything. And I know you've mentioned to me that you incorporate musicality and sound into your practice as a writer. Can you just explain a little bit more about this and how is this possible? At a sort of a basic level, sound is just something that I, I do pay attention to in, in my everyday life. So like it is one of the things that sort of moves me most about life, listening to people's conversations, listening to the rhythm of their of their voices and of their the way people interact with one another, sort of like local colloquialisms and accents and like sayings unique to a certain person or a certain town or a certain country. I just think there's so much sort of richness to be found in the rhythms of, of conversation. And when you sort of set this type of sound against 
backdrop of inner sounding of like inner speech and memory and impression I think there's so much to work with there um, as a writer and then musically before I ever kind of started writing I before I started writing prose I was a songwriter and a sort of a gigging musician so it's my go-to I suppose it would be the first thing I'd try to do if I if I wanted to capture a moment or an atmosphere I would normally go to music first or lyrics or sort of piano based soundscapes I suppose and these often then would develop into sections of prose so they kind of bounce off each other that way and similarly I just I often find with with fiction there's things there's things I don't think language can say that music can maybe if I'm writing a piece of prose and it's it's reaching for something or working with like a state of consciousness that's hard to convey like interiority I'll try to expand upon it musically and yeah it just sort of helps me it helps me reach some sort of new understanding I think so yeah it's kind of shaped my practice and I can't really imagine doing one without the other um one often fills in the blanks for the other or like makes the blanks more interesting or something no it's quite nice how you're talking about how they bounce off each other and kind of fill in the spaces when you don't know how to answer it with one practice, you could do it with the other. And I think that's really nice with creative practices is that we sometimes take from other disciplines and bring it into our own to answer a question. And then research can often prove difficult with little reward. Why did you choose this path? It sounds sort of a bit a bit simple to say, maybe, but I've always kind of found it hard to articulate myself verbally. I've always sort of struggled with that. So it's always a thing. I've always leaned into creative practice to try and find ways to to do that. And I'm a bit of an overthinker and a bit of a worrier, I suppose. So I find that research comes kind of naturally to me in the sense that I, I, I'll usually read around a lot of topics so that I can fully understand them before I can sort of participate in a, in a, in a conversation about them. Yeah, I just find it much easier to participate in, in creative discussions when I'm when I'm well-informed and yeah I wasn't really aware of practice-based PhDs up until up until I started really and that idea that you'd be given the time and space to just read and write is pretty amazing so yeah I, I feel very lucky to have had that opportunity. I get your point about how to articulate your voice through your practice so why did you choose this research topic? Well, it took me a while between my undergrad and my master's to get to the PhD stage. I sort of was working a lot of jobs and making a lot of coffee and gigging and um, doing a lot of different things. So it took me a while to realize the natural progression, but it was there. My undergrad was in music and English, and I remember not feeling finished when that, not feeling done, like when that came to an end. Um, and I wanted to find a way to bring the two together because they were still very separate in my life. And then my master's dissertation sort of involved writing a piece of creative fiction. Um, and that's when I got the idea for these three characters that I'm working with now. So that was, I did my master's about five years ago. And that was when the voices of these characters kind of started to develop. And it seemed like something, it seemed like the beginning of something, I suppose. I read a book as well. It's, the, you know, the Emer McBride book, A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing, it's called. That kind of played a big part in choosing the the topic. When I read it, it kind of hit me in a similar way to the way a piece of music could, which has never really happened to me before with writing or with reading literature. So it sort of moved me on a very emotional level, sort of like hit me in the gut without me being able to decipher any meaning. It was very, very hard to understand. But it was all about atmosphere and sound and mood. And 
an impression sort of and it was doing something very new with language sort of trying to get language from the subconscious onto the page before it was fully formed so it was all fractured and yeah that that was the the book that gave me the initial idea for the project I think that's really interesting Uh, I actually didn't know before we spoke so this kind of information is nice to know about how things can inspire someone to do a type of work It leads me to my next question, because we're in this month of artistic research and there's practice-based, practice-led, and you're obviously doing practice-based, why does practice-based research matter then? In the field of like creative arts, I think it's it's really essential because the kind of the traditional structures of academia can, I suppose, be kind of limiting for how creative ideas work and how they develop. Practice-based research kind of lets the research be as much about process as it is about the result so it's for me I don't know if my supervisor would agree and tell me I'm being ridiculous but it's about asking questions rather than finding an answer really and there's so much of the creative process that comes from your subconscious that that's intuitive um, and that can't maybe or that's difficult to place into an academic format Um, there seems to be a lot more practice-based PhDs and there's a more sort of flexible framework evolving for that kind of research I think. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think with that type of research, we're generating material to then create an understanding. So then has your way of thinking or understanding the world changed or been affected by your research so far? It does become hard to to separate what you're doing in your research from everyday life. Not in a way that it takes over or anything, but like it, it kind of colors a lot of the things that you're doing and it colors your perception of things. So it's made me very kind of hyper aware of sensory perception I suppose and how that how that works with memory especially and how that can be a very powerful tool in writing not to sound too ridiculous but when you're when you are writing when you're immersed in a writing project the characters do sort of travel around with you and you start to consider them in your everyday life you start to consider them as you perceive things so yeah in that way yeah the research definitely affects everything and especially I guess with your research that you're combining music sound and then creative writing you're seeing things a lot differently in your everyday you're getting an influx of sensory information uh, that's affecting different parts of you and then you're bringing that into your writing i suppose definitely that's a nice way of putting it yeah so then is there a moment that has marked your research so far Um, a surprising finding a moment of relief happiness something of that nature yeah well that book i was talking about that was a big moment um it made me kind of think about the ways the ways that art can kind of have an impact on you without the need for for understanding without needing to absolutely understand everything and it made me realize you don't need to understand things to be completely moved by them I also hadn't realized when I started researching that I was kind of dealing with a lot of similar themes in my own work and in the books that I'm looking at specifically sort of relating to grief and trauma and when I realized that the themes sort of were connected, the project became less about just style and just form as standalone things and more sort of about how style is a tool to express voice and to express interiority and to express like the multiplicity of of life, I suppose. And yeah, it kind of, it cemented the idea for me that certain states of being can't be expressed through language alone. And that like emotions and moods and ways of, ways of feeling are are kind of compositions of multiple feelings and you don't have to convey all the parts of that it's okay to just convey a moment or to try and convey a mood 
that's the general idea, I think. No, I think it's it's quite nice that you had this moment that's kind of changed your perception about your own work and how you've brought that into your research and you know gone about it. Obviously, it's probably changed through the years of you doing your work and you're realizing it more of it now, how much of an impact it's been on you. We're all on a different journey, right, through our PhD. Is there anyone who has helped you or inspired you then through this journey? Yeah, um, family and friends, really. And the my hometown where I'm from, um, it's Nina in Tipperary. And it's a small town. And I just find the people there really fascinating. They're sort of their ways of communicating or their ways of holding back, their ways of keeping secrets um, and telling stories and stuff. They're the kind of that place and those people are the, the main inspiration for the whole project, really. Yeah, in lockdown, I suppose it all became a bit more isolating or isolated. But I was very lucky. My partner is doing a PhD as well. And it's it's also practice based, but it's it's in film studies and screenwriting. So although I, you know, I did feel quite isolated from the sort of from the research in a way, um, we had each other to, to bounce off. And I kind of I enjoy talking to people who make different kind of art you know, or people who, who make different kind of things um, in general. I think there's really, rather than sticking to your own your own sort of discipline, I think there's so much more to be learned from people who are doing, who have figured out other ways of working. There's a lot of inspiration to be taken from from them, I think. Yes, I, I totally agree with your point. It, it's always nice to learn from others and kind of see the world a little differently and then bring that into your own research practices or research itself. Do you have any research r- rituals and can you tell me more about your routine? I'm very bad with routine and with rituals at the moment. I sort of, I had gotten into a nice swing of things by like the second year, things were going well. I was going for like a swim in the morning and then going to the library or going to the, to, going to the office or writing in a cafe. All like like simple, nice things, but that change in space, I think, was very important. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, that sort of disappeared. And I think it's very hard to to work through a lot of different energies when you're in a one-bedroom apartment. It doesn't work. So <laughs> there's not much of a routine there for me at the moment. There's just sort of the knowledge that when, when inspiration hits or when you get into some sort of state of flow... Um, cling on to it for dear life because those moments have been sort of scarce for me for the last year and yeah I'm, I'm someone who's always sort of craved routine but it takes me a long time to establish it so I'm kind of I'm craving that at the minute and hoping hoping I can get it back in some way I hope so too I understand everyone's gone through kind of a difficult moment this year of establishing a routine when everything kind of feels the same day in and day out and you know, it's it's quite hard. So then how do you manage work and life balance? Yeah, it's similarly, um, it sort of relates to the year that it's been. It is difficult to, to manage when you are in the same space most of the time. It's hard to figure out when the end of the day is or when the day begins. It's hard to switch off from it completely. Even before the pandemic, though, with the PhD, I've always found, and I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but there is this weird sense of guilt constantly guilt when you're not working on it or you think you should be constantly relating things back to it which I don't know if it's necessarily the healthiest um feeling to be carrying around but in some ways then like not to not to it's not completely negative I think that most creative projects anyway are sort of obsessive you need to be a little bit obsessed and they never feel finished and I guess maybe there's something useful in that creatively 
it's it sounds really simple again, but just going outside. We got a dog recently, so we have like very nice, joyful daily walks that sort of make you cop on a bit and stop worrying and realize that okay, you're only trying to you're only trying to write stories really at a base level. It's not the end of the world if you don't get it done today. Yeah, I I agree. the The walks definitely help, and this sense of guilt when you're not working on it, I I I've been feeling it as well. So you're not alone. <laughs> But yes, it is quite hard to know when the day starts or ends because I guess during this pandemic, because you're in the same setting constantly, you're kind of pulled by different things. You know, the the home energy is mixed with your school energy and you can't separate both of those. That that line is blurred at the moment. But if you could get those moments, like you said, you know, walking your dog or just changing the scenery a bit to re-energize uh i think it's a great way of balancing yeah definitely and it, like it is funny i think a lot of people thought you know when it all started that that kind of isolation and that time alone and that that would be really conducive to producing lots of creative work but i found it yeah to be the opposite for the most part because even though i am quite a solitary person anyway you just you're not seeing the same sort of interactions you're not you know you're not you're not you don't get to eavesdrop in people in a cafe and yeah that's just the thing i really miss hopefully soon enough uh things will change to kind of get those things started again what would be your advice then to give to anyone considering starting a phd in all seriousness adopt a dog and go outside every day it sounds like a cliche i suppose as well but like three or four years seems like a really long time until it's not it passes by very quickly i thought i thought it seemed like forever when i started and now I'm in panic mode being like, oh, my God, it's nearly finished. And yeah, also just do pick, choose a topic that you care about. Choose something that you can sort of incorporate into your life that that means something to you, that sort of corresponds to your interests and your outlook on life. And make sure and stay connected to people outside of the PhD, because obviously your supervisory team is so important and your, your PhD colleagues but I think having people outside of that other creative people and listening to their ideas talking about their practice for me like I'm surrounded by people who are much more clever and interesting and artistic and being able to have creative discussions with them is a thing that kind of is very valuable to me the other thing is just to to be honest with your supervisor to be quite open because I, I like I need to get better at that myself but if things are going badly tell them and if things aren't working out tell them because they're generally they've been through it before they'll understand but yeah I need to take my own my own advice on that one I appreciate the advice though it's insightful to know what to do I only started my second year now so it's still a learning curve on a few things is there anything else that you would like to maybe discuss or say about your research your practices your PhD no I mean I hope I've made it sound like a positive thing because it is um even with the guilty feeling I think it's still very worthwhile and I think just being able to you know, when I was younger, I didn't think I'd ever really have the opportunity to, to have such an extended period where, where I could just write. I just think that's such a gift and probably something I'm not going to get again. I am just trying to make the most of it. Again, yeah, the, the most important thing that I've learned is that while it's sort of very inward facing at times and when, like quite while you're sort of wrapped up in your, your inner world and your, your, your thoughts, looking outward at other art forms and looking at other artists and other ways of being for inspiration. That's the most useful thing I've kind of learned along the way. 
I really appreciate your time joining me on this episode today and discussing these uh, various questions that I asked you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so nice. Yeah, it was really nice to meet you and to be a part of something so interesting. Thanks for listening to this episode of QUB Voices. We hope you have learned a little bit more this month about music, sound, and artistic research. We will see you next month for new episodes.